of us think that in 2017, the LGBTQ community is accepted on all levels, and especially in a place like Toronto, which, for example, led the way in terms of gay marriages. But that isn't the complete truth. According to our next guest, a media personality in his own right, Daniel Palais. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you're a host, a writer, a producer. You've gained quite a following. Tell us about your professional life quickly. You have two shows, quite a list of famous interviewees. Yeah, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of big names in Hollywood and Bollywood. And right now I've got two online shows, one called Date with Daniel and the other called Effed with Daniel. Mm-hmm. And the F's being fashion, food, film, and what I call fabulosity. And it's just my way of speaking to people that I want to speak to, tell stories that I want to tell and showcase my life. Well, we're going to talk about being gay in the spotlight and what that has been like for you. But first, tell us about your coming out story. Well, I told my family I was gay in 2010. I was 25 years old. And it was, you know, I grew up in a very unhappy home. So I think by the time that I accepted my sexuality and decided to tell my family about it, it was a celebration. It wasn't something that was very difficult. And, you know, I my dad wasn't very accepting of it. He still isn't. But my mom, she's she's open to the conversation. She loves me for who I am. She celebrates Moms pride are with the me. Best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she was at the parade this year with me and she asks questions. She makes jokes. She takes an active part in my life. So that's the dichotomy at home. But, you know, you take the good with the bad. You just kind of have to roll with the punches. What about the rest of your family? You have siblings? I have one sister, Jessica. She's 26 years old. And so, I mean, she's a millennial at heart. She's grown up with acceptance of the LGBTQ community. So that wasn't a struggle at all. If anything, she's lucky to have a gay brother. She always looks good. (laughs) Who's a fashionista. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Fabulosity. Well, you say you were bullied, though. Yeah. Um, You know... My mom is the youngest of 14 kids. So by the time I popped on the scene in 1985, I had a lot of male cousins, a lot of alpha male male cousins. And so I was always like the elephant in the room. I liked pink. I loved Bollywood actresses. I um, I, I loved spending time with the women, you know. And usually in a, South, a conservative South Asian family, you walk into the room, the men are on one side, the women mm-hmm. are on the other. I was with the women. And so there were a lot of questions around my sexuality. A lot of people would make comments. Um, I'd be made fun of at school and at home. And um, it, it just, it just, I was always made to feel like an outsider. Did you and know you were gay? No, absolutely not. I was always called gay and I had no idea what the word meant, to be completely honest with you. But I always knew that they were making a marker about a difference I had. And that uh-huh. that difference wasn't something that was accepted. And I knew that no matter how young you are, you understand that you have a difference and it's not accepted and people don't really understand it. So I knew I was different and I knew it wasn't acceptable. And because of that, I I was very shy. Um, I wasn't so outgoing. I'd probably just kind of go into the back corner because I didn't want anybody to pick up on a gesture or pick up on the tone of my voice and embarrass me or create shame around that. So I was very quiet. So here you are, successful at what you do. You're in the spotlight. What is it like as a gay person in the entertainment industry? Is it different than other professions? Are we still, is there still a stigma? Absolutely. But, you know, I think when it comes to the entertainment business, you you have to be comfortable being who you are before you step into that space. And that's whether you're gay or straight or bi or transgendered. You have to have self-confidence and you have to have a secure sense of self because the entertainment business can kind of take you in many different directions. And if you're secure in who you are, 
then you'll stay grounded. So I, I think it has less to do with sexuality and more to just do with who you are as a person. But, you know, every once in a while, I do face those stereotypes. You know, a lot of people expect gay men to be super thin and super fit. And, you know, I'm thick and voluptuous and I celebrate <laughs> that. So, you know, I don't fit into those crowds, but there are those expectations when it comes to being gay or they expect me to be really bitchy for lack of a better term make fun of people mm-hmm. um you know put them down for the things that they wear and i don't necessarily ascribe to those things well there's as many different gay types of gay men yeah. as there are types of people yeah i mean there are some you know some gay men that i get on very very well with and there's some that just don't like women that i don't get along well with so i mean i just treat yeah. people like people yeah and I think when it comes to uh, entertainment, I mean, being gay is something you can cash in on, you know, especially when I it comes say. to the entertainment space. So they expect you to kind of turn it on and play up to certain things. And I don't, I, I was bullied. I don't want to bully others. Mm-hmm. Um, I was made fun of. I don't want to do anything that's going to make someone feel less than. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always fit into the entertainment space because mm-hmm. they kind of like, they love that sort of commentary that goes against the grain and can create controversy. Yeah, but what you're really talking about is that you're you're getting pushback for not being stereotypical yeah. gay. Yeah. Or what people have some some image of what a gay man is supposed to be like. Yeah. That's yeah. very odd. Mm-hmm. It is odd and I think what it, it comes across in just the way people think about things. It's not necessarily out there and you know people are just against you or they ex- they're expecting me to fit that mold. Sometimes it's just the way they think about you. And they, ex- they they express that in regular conversation. And you realize that, okay, perhaps you haven't given them what they want in that interview or you didn't say what they expected you to. And you walk away knowing that you were different. So what was the impetus for the He, She project? Tell us about it. So again, growing up, constantly being called a He, She, being, being made fun of my female um, characteristics, which mm. I love, by the way, they're fabulous. So the Hichi project was more me just trying to blend the two of them together and say, hey, we can be whoever we are, despite the masculinity and femininity in us. And it was more to challenge the ideas of what it means to be a man today. And especially in the South Asian culture, you know, my dad's been pressured by what it means to be a man, and I didn't fit that. And because of that, there was a lot of shame for him with his only son. And so I wanted to challenge that. I said, I'm still a man at the end of the day. I still identify as one. But I may be different than what you think a man should be or can be. But that doesn't mean we can't take that definition outside of the norm and celebrate that too. So that's what it really was. It was a series of photos celebrating both the masculine and feminine sides of who I am. So what needs to happen to change the environment or people's acceptance levels of of other people? I think we have to have conversations and we have to have uncomfortable conversations and we have to be open to the perspective and viewpoints of others. That's the one thing that I think has saved my relationship with my mother. If I allowed her to think whatever she thought, you know, she migrated to Canada in the early 1970s. She didn't know there was a gay community until she came here. And she started to learn about it on the news. Now, if I allowed her to just think about whatever she thought, and I didn't have an ongoing conversation with her, there would have been no education. I wouldn't have increased her awareness. Um, with that has come empathy and compassion. And so I think that we, you have to have uncomfortable conversations on both ends of the spectrum. I know a lot of my brothers and sisters in the community, when they face some pushback from their parents or they say something, they're immediately insulted and they just shut down the conversation. But ask a few more questions. Push, pa- push past that. I learned a lot about my parents and their upbringing in that process as well. So I think that as long as you're open to having a conversation, whether it ends on your end of the uh, argument or not, 
you're going to slowly create more engagement, more awareness. And with every small victory, there's a bigger win. So what is your, you, you do a lot of speaking, you support yes. people in young people in the LGBT c- community. What is it that you tell them? What is it that you want them to understand about themselves? I want them to know that they have the power to define who they are. That when they're young, people are going to tell them a lot of things. People are going to tell them there are a lot of things and how they should be, how they should dress, how they should act. But at the end of the day, I want them to know that how they feel about themselves is paramount. Whether that's good or bad, how you feel about yourself should be the first question you ask and it should be the first step you take in that journey. And it's difficult. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to know it because there's so much pressure around you. But if you allow yourself just to be open to the idea of being free and being honest with yourself, you will get to a point despite the circumstances where you will accept yourself, whether good or bad, you'll come to an understanding and whatever you choose to do with your life is your choice. But as long as you know who you are and you're comfortable with that, you're good to go. Well, I too am a voluptuous, fabulous yes. female. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, so tell people where, where, how they can watch your shows. So you can, go, you can search my name, Daniel Play, on YouTube or go to danielpillay.com and all my count- content is housed there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for having such an important conversation on your show. I think it's very important. This is what she said. Stay with us. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.